What a powerful image. So powerful. It's, it's just so easy to be uh, a bystander with an opinion of what's going on in the world rather than an, a reformer. And I think while we look at a, a load and we observe that load and we talk about that load and we, we have different opinions about that load, whether it's on the right side or the left side or the front side or the back side, the reality is it's not until we step up and we actually pick up that load and move with it that we actually will see transformation and change. And, uh, you know, last week it was my joy to be deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit of the need for me personally as the president of Catch the Fire World, a global movement that has a history of revival for 25 years. It's impacted the nations of the world all over the world. Now we have over 100 churches all over the world. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me last Sunday in worship right outside and He said, I want you to humble yourself. And I want you to kneel down in front of Willie, my son, who's a father of the black and African-American people. And I want you to repent. I want you to confess and I want you to repent to him. And I want you to do that as a white man that you are, because I created you white. And I created you to be born into a British family. I created you and intended for you to be born in Nigeria, grew up with the majority of your friends being black, loving your black friends so deeply that you always wondered why you were white, wishing that you could fit in, wishing that you could belong, but the color of your skin ultimately separated you. And I want you to kneel down. And by the way, Duncan, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, continuing the narrative, the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. And by the way, you are an ex-police officer and I want you to humble yourself in front of Willie. And it was my joy to do so. My heart's was broken, still remains broken and tender. It was fascinating to me though that though my uh, African-American brothers and sisters, black brothers and sisters came, many of them and said, wow, that was absolutely amazing. Many of them fell into my arms weeping feeling that they had been seen and that they had been heard. Perhaps for the first time by a senior leader of a church, by a white man. And it just so deeply touched my heart, but it was so fascinating all week that people would also say to me, most of them, actually all of them white, how long will we need to keep repenting? It's not the right thing right now at all because there's a big difference between confession and repentance. Confession is when you speak 
the reality that you have sinned from conviction of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is what you do after the confession, after you've received the forgiveness and you move, you change, you do something different. You don't go back to the way you were before. And so repentance is necessary while ever that we as white people stop at forgiveness, at that confession. Because the reality is there has been in many, many cases a deep-seated sense of being a superior race and we are not a superior race. I say that out of the convictions the Holy Spirit has been speaking right into my own heart about my attitudes, about the fruit of my life. You see, Jesus said it's by the tree that you know it's, excuse me, it's by the fruit that you know a tree. And the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart. And until I'm in a place where I'm willing that every single person of authority and rulership in this world, the top places of this world can be occupied by somebody of colour in their skin, I still have a mentality of my superiority. I said to Devon the other day, and this wasn't a promise made to him or a, a statement of, okay, this is your future, Devon. But I said, I looked him right in the eyes and I said, Devon, what if the Holy Spirit has called you to be the next president of Catch the Fire World? I'm thrilled that in the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't matter what colour skin we have, we're all called to phenomenal rulership, leadership, influence. That's the great game changer. That, that in Adam, we squabble and we fight about who's better, who's superior. But in Christ, there's no more fight. It's over. It's peace. It's righteousness. It's joy. It's all peoples created equal and redeemed equal and glorious, equal in glory in Christ Jesus. As I was praying this week, and of course, like many of you, I've been very, very much in prayer, deeply troubled by the things that are going on in our nation, not deeply troubled because there's a call and a cry for change, not at all, but because in the midst of this call for change, Many things are still not changing. That's what's been bothering me. And the challenge to my own heart, am I ready to change? Am I willing to change? Am I ready to make different decisions? Am I gonna change who I do business with? Am I gonna change who I involve in leadership, etc., etc.? Am I gonna change who I'm willing to invite to my home? Am I gonna change who I'm willing to have be friends with? Am I willing to change? Am I willing to embrace people that don't look like me, that don't think like me, that have a different opinion than I do? We don't have a world, thank God, in Christ Jesus that says your opinion doesn't count. In Adam and in, the, in this world, in the dimensions of the natural realm, 
It's so difficult, increasingly difficult to have an opinion that's different from other people. Tragically, opinions separate former friends. This has been happening for 6,000 years. This is not some new thing. This is the reality of original sin in Adam. I will only be your friend if you think like me. I will only be your friend if you believe in my political persuasion. I'll only be your friend if you, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Ask your own heart, your own questions. What do you allow to become a wall of separation within the way other people think versus the way you think? The fact of the matter is, it really doesn't matter what we think, it matters what God thinks. It matters what our heavenly daddy thinks and I'm so glad that he thinks perfectly. As I was praying the Holy Spirit, he took me back to the beginning of creation. When I was a child growing up in a wonderful, loving Christian family, my mum and dad were of a certain doctrinal persuasion that's shared by many millions and millions of Christians, myself included, regarding the doctrine of original sin. That sin is not something that started when we were of age to know and understand the difference between good and evil. No, sin was something that we were actually conceived in and with. And the reason for that is not just because our parents sinned. It's not just because our grandparents sinned, although all of those sinned. The real deep reason is because we were all in Adam and Eve when they sinned. And when they sinned and ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were all in them. Billions of people were all in them. Adolf Hitler was in Adam. Winston Churchill was in Adam. Every human that's ever lived was in Adam. Every race that's been a victim was in Adam. Every race that's been an oppressor was in Adam. All of us were in Adam. Every black man was in Adam. Every white man was in Adam. Every Chinese person was in Adam. Every race that's ever existed, all of us were in Adam. And the Holy Spirit began to show me that the doctrine of original sin has become in the minds of so many Christians the starting place that Jesus came to rescue us from. That He came into the world because God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. That He came to do that in order to save the sinner that was born and conceived in original sin. And although that is a massive, massive part of the mission of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God coming into the world, it was not actually the original reason that He came. Though He came to save us from our sins, He actually came, as Matthew 18 verse 11 says, 
the Son of God came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't just come to seek and save those who were lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And the that, that that was lost was extremely dear to God. And what God came to send His Son Jesus into the world to save was not man in his original sin, but something even more spectacular. It was man, humanity in Adam's and Eve's original very goodness. You see, there is a there was a altogether more lovely starting point than human beings in sin. And somehow or other in our, in our faith, in our expression of Christianity, in our desire to give glory to God and our, our desire to really understand the full work of the cross, we have given way too much weight to a wrong starting point that the original, that the point that we started was original sin. And so as a result of that, there's this deep-seated sense of opportunity for the enemy to whisper into our hearts, you're not as sinful as those people over there. Because their starting point in original sin is way worse than your starting point in original sin. And we find ourselves easily, easily tricked by the enemy into levels of human righteousness, levels of human goodness. And we discover that instead of living from the tree of life, which we've become one with in Christ Jesus, we're still in the old mentality that we were in Adam, where we were one with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we're eating from that tree, feeding and drinking from that tree with self self-interpreted understanding of what we think is good and evil. And we have our rules and our regulations. We even insert our Christianity into it. We take all of the things that we think are what make us good. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do the other. I do this, I do that, I don't do the other. And then we take all of that and we use it as a barometer. We use it as a measuring rod against all other human beings. That makes me better than you over there. We use it to justify ourselves. We use it to take the place, we call it religion. We use it to, as religion to take the place of relationship. Racism can only breed in religion. You cannot have racism in relationship. If your heart is burning for relationship, racism is anathema. But where the knowledge of good and evil exists, now all of a sudden, I can make my own decision that black is better, white is better, orange is better, whatever we want to say is better. But in the tree of life, everyone is very good. Everyone is actually not just very good, but in the tree of life himself, everyone is perfect. In Christ Jesus, we are perfect. And when we know that we're perfect, now we can relate in relationship with a perfect God and in perfect relationship with our brother and sister, no matter who they are, in our standard, they're perfect in God's standard. And we have an opportunity 
We have an opportunity as believers to join in with heaven's agenda right now. To join in with the dismantling of the systematic, institutionalized racism. And I'm talking about what's in our own hearts, never mind society. Because a city is made of individuals. A nation is made of individuals. The Lord spoke to me and He said, Duncan, before you were ever in Adam in his original sin, you were in Adam in his original very goodness. And it's that original very goodness, that that was lost, that Jesus came to bring back to the Father. See, the book of Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 4, that we were all chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to be predestined to be adopted in the beloved, to literally be adopted now as sons and daughters of the living God. So even in the original very goodness of creation, there's an even further back, even deeper starting point that goes way back into eternity in the heart of God, where God created us, our spirit from eternity. Our spirit man from eternity, He became the father of all of us. He became the father of our spirits. And then in creation, thank you, then in creation, He created a body, first starting with Adam and then opening up Adam's side and taking a rib and creating Eve, his wife. From that rib, the Bible says that He roughly formed man. The word is yatsah in Hebrew. It means to take a piece of, a piece of mud, clay, and roughly form it like a potter on a wheel. And then it says that he opened up Adam's side and he took the rib of Adam's and he made woman. And that word made is not yatsah, it's banah, which means to build piece by piece as a master architect, craftsman. It's no wonder I can't keep up with my wife. She's way too smart. And she has been meticulously put together. Adam formed with clay, his wife taken from his side and made as a master craftsman. And then with them both, I can imagine this moment that they're standing there and Adam realizes, whoa! That's way better than the giraffe and way better than the hippo and way better than the dragonfly, no offense. But this is amazing. She's my woman. And he's instantly in love and he says, this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh. And the Bible says, for this reason, the two shall become one flesh, become one. We're in a series, we're starting a series right now today called Undivided. Undivided. 
from the very, very beginning when God made Adam and then made his wife, Ish and Ishah in the Hebrew, Adam and Eve as we know them. When God created them, the Bible tells us that for the first time in all of creation, when God said He made the sky, He said that it was good. When He made the stars, He said they were good. When He made the plants, He said they were good. When He made the animals, He said they were good. When He made the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, He said they're good. But when He made Adam and then He made Eve and He looked at them both, one flesh in union, He said, oh, that's very good. Very, very good. It wasn't just that they were in inherently very good. It was that their undivided hearts, their lack of division, their perfect union, their oneness of flesh was very good. The union was very good. And then it says God rested from all of His labours. And I think he rested and refreshed himself by enjoying being with Adam and Eve. And in being with Adam and Eve, he hung out with every human that's ever lived. Every race, every skin colour, every person of any opinion, every oppressor, every future oppressor, every future victim, he said, they're very good. I know they're gonna sin. I know they're gonna eat the wrong fruit. I know it, but I love them. I'm so thrilled with them. My son Jesus is gonna come and rescue everything that I'm looking at right now that causes me to say, they're very good. They're very good. And may the Holy Spirit fill us with a supernatural ability right now to have the heart of God, to look at humanity through His eyes, to look at our brothers and sisters that we don't know, to look at people that look different to us. And instead of having a superior thought in our heart at a subconscious or conscious level, to look at them and recognise that we were one with them in Adam before original sin came into the world. And I loved what Devon said and during his amazing time of, of leading the meeting, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not another human being. It never has been, it never is, and it never will be. Our enemy are the forces of darkness of this hidden world. Fallen angels, principalities, powers, rulers and authorities in the dark world, Paul calls them, that hate humanity, that hate God, that wanna bring division, wanna bring a divided heart instead of an undivided heart and want to do whatever they can to totally destroy, steal and kill humanity. And that's the enemy. And ladies and gentlemen, church family that are watching, whether your church family right here in Raleigh, Durham, or whether your church family in other parts of North Carolina, the United States, or all over the world, there is a nasty enemy, and it is him that is at work at this point to bring destruction, to steal our lives, as I preached a few weeks ago, and to murder us. But I thank God that Jesus came, John 10, 10, to give us the Father's, His and the Holy Spirit's abundant life. You see, in 
Before we were in Adam in his original sin, we were in Adam in his original very goodness. But we were also in Adam in his original identity. And to know our identity is so important. But Jesus came not just to redeem our original goodness and bring it into His perfection, which was always the intended purpose. You see, because we were created in Adam and we were in a garden and God came and He dwelt and He came and visited, I should say. He came and visited them in that garden, but He didn't dwell with them in that garden. He dwelt with them in His omnipresence, but He didn't dwell with them in His manifest presence. He came and visited them, but He put His presence and His person Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the tree of life Himself, right in the centre of the garden. But they chose not to access the tree of life. Instead, they chose the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of that, while they were now in that condition of being one with sin, they were removed from the garden because God did not want them in that unredeemed state to be unredeemed and irredeemable forever if they reached out and ate of the fruit of the tree of life and became eternal beings. They would have eaten that fruit and made themselves one with eternity, but they would have been irredeemable for eternity. What a catastrophe that would have been. And so I love how my pastor John Arnott says, it was with great tears. It was with, with nail pierced hands that the son who was nailed from the foundation of the world, that the son who was the tree of life himself in the middle of the garden, stood with His Father and with the Spirit and waved at them as they went away from the garden with nail-pierced hands saying, you are now separated from me, but I will come to you. I will come and I will redeem you. I will come and take back to the Father, bring back to the Father, bring back to myself that which was lost. Not just you, but us together. Not just you individually, but the union of the two of you. Before your minds were divided by sin, before the knowledge of good and evil took hold of your life and you lost relationship and discovered religion. When I was in Kyrgyzstan, a nation on the edge of the Tanshen border with China. I was in the dust, rolling in the dust. The Holy Spirit had touched me so powerfully I couldn't stand up, kind of like Devon was struggling this morning and I just couldn't stand up and I was, I was mushed to the floor by the glory of God. And as I was lying there on the floor, my, I realised that I'm just, that the floor was so dusty, so dirty and my, my clothes were had gone orange with all the dirt and the dust from the floor of the dust of Kyrgyzstan and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I was already getting drunk in the Holy Spirit. I was already being filled with the new wine of heaven and joy was exploding, supernatural joy, supernatural love was exploding in my heart. You see, we can't sustain in this life in the joy that comes in the Adam race. We can't sustain in this life in the love that comes from the Adam race. We can only be sustained by the love and the joy that comes from the Jesus life, from the union with Christ now. And as I'm there in the floor, just covered in dust, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and He said, Duncan, you know, I love it when you get into the dust, when you're willing to just be in the dust because it reminds you and it reminds me that you're just made of dust. But you've believed in my Son 
Who is the gold of heaven? You are the dust of earth, but my son is the gold of heaven. And the two of you have become one through the cross and resurrection. In my son, you are now gold dust to me. And it just, it just so undid me. And this life I realised is not about us trying hard to be like Christ. This life is not about us trying hard to be more loving, trying hard to be more righteous. This life is about us surrendering all that we are in Adam and saying, I'm willing to agree that it was put to death through the last Adam, Jesus at the cross. And I'm willing in weakness and trembling instead, like Devon was saying, to trust in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in the presence of the one who dwells on the inside of me. You see, in Christ now, unlike with Adam, where Adam was in a garden with the tree of life on the outside of him, now in Christ, we have the tree of life on the inside of us. In fact, we have become trees of life that bear His fruits. And now we're not trees of life in a garden called Eden. We're trees of life in a totally different garden called Daddy God. Daddy God. You see, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1, he says these extraordinary words. Just listen to this for just a moment. Okay, original Adam, those that were originally in Adam, now redeemed from very goodness into perfection in Christ Jesus. Now he's addressing these people that happen to be the church of Thessalonia. And he's saying to these people that have been redeemed from Adam's original very goodness and have been redeemed from Adam's original sin and have been redeemed from Adam's broken identity and have been redeemed from Adam's broken, stolen throne that Satan took from him. A throne that we were never to rule of each other with. There's nowhere on that statement where God said rule over. He doesn't say rule over each other. He says rule over the fish of the sea, rule over the birds of the air and rule over every creeping thing. That's right, that nasty snake that's in this garden, Satan himself, you can rule over him. You can crush his head. You don't have to listen to him. When he comes with his nasty lies, you just come running to me, hand him over to me, I'll sort him out for you. But sadly, they chose to listen to the snake. They chose not to rule over him. And as a result, they forfeited their throne. And Satan, who was never given a throne, now occupied the throne of Adam. And from that throne, he's been causing injustice and chaos and social disorder and war and famine and racism and every evil thing. But Jesus came and He crushed Satan's head through the cross. He made a public spectacle of Him as, as the last Adam in absolute weakness, in total surrender to the Father, letting go of all of His rights as a perfect man, letting go of all of the injustice that a perfect man was being nailed to the cross, letting go of all of it and instead embracing all of our sin, our atrocities, our tragedies, our racism, our injustices, everything that's plagued us, He took it all upon Himself. He 
He embraced and became one with every victim of every sin that's ever been done. And He became one with every perpetrator and sinner of every sin that's ever been done. And He died on the cross, breathed His last and said, it is finished. The price has now been paid in full. And not only that, when He was raised from the dead, He rose victorious and was seated upon His throne, a throne where there is now a human being for eternity on that throne. And make no mistake, everybody, the Kingdom of Heaven is not a democracy. It's crazy to me the level of hostility that we allow in the church based on our political persuasion as if somehow God is lowered down to our political party's beliefs. No matter which side of the political spectrum you are on, God is so infinitely higher than our ways, everybody. He's higher than our ways. We must never, ever try to take God down and force Him into some kind of political persuasion in our democratic thinking minds. Okay, democracy, I'm not saying anything to dis, dis democracy or say democracy is wrong. It's, I think, I forget who it was who said it's the worst form of government in the absence of any others that are any good or something. I forget why I've, I've really hashed that one up. But anyway, democracy is wonderful. But let me tell you something, the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy, everybody. And the church is in the kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is a monarchy and there is a king and he rules and he reigns and with a perfect heart in his perfection. And I just want to end by saying this. Paul says this, Paul, Silas and Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, he doesn't say, to the church of the Thessalonians that believe in God. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God. In God, in God the Father. You see, Adam in his original very goodness was placed in a garden. But that garden was not to be his permanent home. That garden is not where we're returning to everybody. That garden was a starting point where they were meant to reach out and eat of the fruit of the tree of life and become perfectly one with life himself, Jesus Christ, so that they could go to their ultimate home, which is the Father. But they didn't. And they took that horrific 4,000 year detour until the Father sent his Son to bring us back the church though. And who's the church? Not the political church or the church of the nations or whatever. I'm talking about the church of the believers that are the saints in Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb, alive in the resurrected King of glory. The church, the supernatural church in the Spirit where there's no separation, no wall of hostility, nothing that separates us, Jews and Gentiles together, one with Christ in the Father, in our eternal home with Him. Shikabanga. For those of you that are listening, that are family, church family and catch the fire, Please allow the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see that every human being in Adam, whether they're 
whether they're saved yet or not, every human being just like us, prior to giving their lives to Jesus, God sees them in Adam's original very goodness. When you have eyes to see humanity like that, you will not live a life of judgment. Yes, you can live a life of assessment, but you will live a life longing for love to invade through you. You'll live a life where you look at people's sin and you look at the wrong things in people's lives, their bad decisions and so on, and you will have compassion and you will have mercy and you will have love. And when we walk like that, we can look at our black brother and our black sister and our uh, black, uh, sorry, our white brother and our white sister and we can love one another with the love that's in Christ Jesus. Because if we can love each other from God's original very goodness perspective, how much now that we're in Christ can we love each other in the reality that we're all now adopted sons and daughters, beloveds in the love of the lover, the Father. And our eternal home is with one another, with Him forever. But let's not get overly spiritual now about that. From that place of union with Him, we need to sit on our throne and not rule over each other, but we definitely need to rule over the powers of darkness. And we need to be proactive, everybody. We all need to do our part to work through the transformation of our human systems and our human institutions and our human government and so on and so forth until it looks like heaven on earth until the reality of God's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is what we experience. I'm not talking about a particular nation becoming a Christian nation. I'm talking about every heart, every human being experiencing and enjoying the righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about every single one of our, our laws and our systems of justice really, truly, truly manifesting the love of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God. Amen? Amen. Nobody will ever be brutal to another human being when the heart of Jesus beats in their heart. It doesn't matter whether they're in uniform or whether they're in shorts and t-shirts. It's the heart of Jesus that makes the difference. I'm gonna pray for you. Father, and pray for myself as well. Father, I thank you with all my heart that through Jesus, your beloved Son, you've rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from the rule and reign of tyranny and terror, where Satan was crushing us. And you in Christ Jesus rescued us and set us free. Lord, humans from every tribe and tongue and race and skin colour, you have made it so that you've set us all free, a way that we could all be free to be not just 
restored to our original very goodness that we started in, but even greater than that, to be brought into the perfection of Christ in the Father. And Lord, I ask you right now that you would help each one of us, myself included, to know exactly how to manifest your love and your rulership, your love to humanity and your rulership against the principalities and powers and darkness. And Lord, I ask that you would show us, Lord, how to bring transformation of culture in our in our police systems and our justice systems and in our society, Lord, in our churches. Lord, that we would be rid forever of racism in Jesus' Name, that our children and our children's children would never have to deal with that horrific evil. That Your love would rule and reign. That Your righteousness would be available for all that your peace would abound, your joy would abound. And Lord, the earth would truly look like heaven invading earth. In Jesus' Name I pray. And Lord, I ask for every Catch the Fire church family member, whether they've been with us for years or whether they've just joined recently in COVID, watching online, Lord, I am asking you that we would be able to, in love, Lord, live a life that's worthy of Christ Jesus and pleasing to Him in every good work that we do and that we would be able to do our part, Lord, to see these injustices ended in Jesus' Name. And would you speak to each of us individually to show us how to do this? And Lord, I pray particularly for my black African-American brothers and sisters in this nation. Lord, that you would lift every knee off their necks, figuratively speaking and literally speaking. And Lord, I pray that our brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters would be able to take their place in your great kingdom of love as truly equals. Lord, and that you would deal with my heart, all of our hearts and eradicate every sense of superiority based on ourselves right out of us in Jesus' name forever, right out of us. And Lord, will you would lift up the faces of our African-American brothers and sisters that every one of us would have equal opportunities, would have equal chances, would have equal status to be able to be followers and to be able to be leaders, all of us the same. In Jesus' name, amen.